Evolutionary.org presents the Underground Radio Podcast with your host, Hardcore Steve, the Monster, and Mobster, the UK Beast. Prepare for the show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hit it! Evolutionary Underground, episode 31. Today we're talking about oral-only bulking cycles for winter with Geneza Pharma. And look, Mobster and I, we've done several different Geneza Pharma episodes. And this one's going to be interesting because a lot of you out there want to know about oral cycles. You want to know, can I use oral cycles? Will they work? And a lot of people out there think, well, orals, you can't do orals on your own. We're going to we're going to get into that. We're going to debate that. And you guys can also comment and debate your personal experiences running orals and not. We're going to talk about bulking and how to get the most out of your bulks. We're going to talk about tips and tricks. We're going to talk about which oral steroids from Geneza Pharma we like, we recommend for bulking. We're going to talk about how much to use and how long to use. So this is going to be a really exciting show. And this is going to be the one that you're definitely going to want to pay close attention to. So first, you know, Geneza Pharma, uh, look, they've been around a long time and People love Geneza Pharma. They they provide excellent gear. I mean, they're as close as walking into the pharmacy and grabbing gear from the pharmacist that a doctor wrote a prescription for you for, as you're going to find. You know, they they are very high quality. Their products are made in a lab by professionals who know what they're doing when it comes to making steroids. They test their products before. They put them on the market, all right? That's very important. Compare that to the guy at your gym who's going around and, you know, approaching you in the gym. Comes up to you in the gym, you know, puts his arm on your shoulder, mobster, in the locker room. And he's like, hey, you know, you want to get better gains? I got some stuff. Then he opens up his gym bag and he's got a bunch of steroids in there. Unmarked steroids, even if they're marked, the labels look like they were printed off some printer. This is stuff that he got from a buddy of his who was making them in some, you know, shack or trailer or basement, okay? And they didn't test that. They don't know what that is. They just basically put it together, and there's no telling what's in that. So you're going to take that oral. There could be heavy metals in that oral. There could be – it could be underdosed. It could be overdosed. It could be anything. It could be 20%. Some steroid, 30% another steroid, 20% another steroid, and 20% sugar. Could be a sugar pill, 50% sugar pill, and 10% of an actual steroid. Could be pro-hormone that they put together. It could be anything. You're going to trust that or you're going to trust something that's actually done by a professional in the lab and actually tested with professional anonymous testing. That's what they do. That's what Geneza Pharma does. So when I buy... Anadrol or D-Ball or Superdrol, any of these steroids I'm going to talk about on this balking episode, I know that I'm getting what I'm ordering. I know it's going to be a good quality, 98 to 99% or more pure oral when I do that. It's not going to be 50% something, 20% something. It's not going to be like a dog, you know, that's, you know, a a stray dog that's running down the street. That's a mix of, of, of 30 different things. Okay. It's going to be that pure greyhound. It's going to be that pure greyhound quality. And that's what we want, you know, in that situation. So mobster. We've had uh, some recent conversations and discussions on the forums listeners to the effects. uh, And I've used this particular analogy to describe what used to happen versus what happens now and how, why as another angle on the topic that we've discussed on previous Geneza Pharma uh, sponsored podcast about what makes Geneza Pharma an approved source. So let me give you this analogy, guys. Back in the day, and even what Steve's just referred to still happened. So back in the day, you'd had exactly what Steve just described. That was kind of commonplace, Steve. It was the norm almost. That was pretty much especially for our overseas listeners in America, the domestic market, as we call it, that was the kind of the way that you got steroids. You either went south of the border, Mexico way, or you spoke to a buddy at the gym, you used contacts, et cetera. So over over the time that we've uh, been able to discuss and use and, and enjoy the results 
pharmaceuticals to enhance our training, PEDs. Uh, it's slowly but surely improved. We've heard about uh, lab raids and the F FDA and all this kind of stuff. Getting, it's absolutely crazy. So there are still people that are what we call kitchen sink operators, but that tends to be kind of small. Um, it's, and, and, and so here's the phrase or the, or the analogy that I've used recently. You don't hear of contamination issues the way that you used to. Literally heavy metals from China. Very rarely, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but much, much more rare than it used to be. Here about people getting uh, infections. If you do hear that, it's typically where they're just jabbing and jabbing and jabbing away at the same goddamn place. They're not rotating sites. And so on, Steve. So one of the things, and I use this it's just for the local, and we've talked about this, it touched upon it on, on previous shows. What makes an approved source typically is length of time is one of those considerations, Steve. Now, if a lab suddenly comes into being, and I've had this experience locally, Steve, and they lasted, I think, 11 and a half months. I'm not going to say they started in January, but let's say that they did. They started in January and they made it like to the end of November, beginning of December, and then they disappeared. They, you know, guns blazing, great, fantastic products, good, 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 good. I've even given samples, worked fine, et cetera, et cetera. But by the end of the year, they'd fallen off the radar. They fucked up with buying too much growth hormone, which they couldn't sell. That meant they had no money for the other products and so on and so forth. Any company or source, including kitchen lab suppliers, it's so, so difficult to last and be true, to be become an approved source, to be something you go, you know what, I know this brand, my buddies have used this brand, we've had this brand tested by a member, and so on and so forth. And, and to do that, Steve, for 10 years, or 12 years, or 13 years, or 15 years, or 20 years, is incredibly hard. You don't get that by scamming people. You don't get that length of time providing by screwing up source materials. You don't get that by not having what it says on the label. You don't get that by having dodgy batch numbers or, or stuff that's a batch number on every single batch you've ever seen. Looks good, but it doesn't mean fuck all. You don't get that if you haven't got the scratch-off labels or the laser-free printed labels. You don't get that if the colour changes from one day to the next. You certainly don't get it if, it's, if, if the, there's issues with infections or people complaining constantly about post-injection pain and so on and so forth. It gets to the point, and we can think of a couple of other brand names. I'm not going to mention them, Steve, but one specific one springs to mind. It's probably been about 20 years where they've actually been copied because that name has so much history in terms of product and so on and so forth. And even the copies are sometimes good, Steve. That's how, that's how fucked up this stuff is. So... It's, it's a problem when it comes to PEDs, but we kind of get around that. We use sources that have been around, like Geneza Pharma, for a long time that provide solid products, proper batch numbers, stuff you can check. You can check who the resellers are. You can contact Geneza and say, who can I buy this product from? And so on and so forth, Steve. It just goes on and on and on, right? And then, for example, and you and I are good examples of this, not only do we have the feedback that we get from our members on the forums, but ourselves. I can think of a couple of sponsored products for podcasts that we've done where you and I have specifically tried product ourselves. So it's our personal recommendation over and above the member's recommendation, over and above all those little rules and guidelines that I've just told you about. A lot of this is common sense stuff. But if you're new to the game, as we like to say with these kind of things, you need to sort of think, listen, if you go to the supermarket, do you buy a brand you've never heard of when you've never been there, you've never tried a brand, or do you stick with a brand you know? Same analogy, same with fuel for your car, same with electricity for your house and so on and so forth. Company I've never heard of has only been around five minutes or a company that's like a bank, Steve, been around hundreds of years. You want that kind of vibe when it comes to product because that way you feel more safe more secure with what you're what you're doing. So, for example, with its clear products and uh, solid products, tested products, certificates, and analysis, and more. Right. Let's get into what the hell is bulking. Used to be a massive big deal back in the day, Steve, and I think it's less common where we really bulk up the way that we meant. So, bulking up for the most part, and I'm going to use the older analogy first, is that in the off season, it wasn't uncommon to see athletes on stage, let's say 200 pounds, and then off stage in the winter, 240 pounds. That was not unusual. Of course, over time, 
athletes began to realize that it was great. You look at the size of a house, Steve, but they kind of realized, come the competition, I'm going to have to drop 40 pounds. So guys don't blow up as much as they used to. However, and this is a bit of a problem with the Instagram influence, Snapchat kind of age that we're in now, where uh, it can be a little bit of a mindfuck. If you're a great fan of some athlete, Instagram influence or whatever else, and they're not quite as ripped as they used to be, well, that's kind of normal, guys. That's you. They're, they're genetic freaks, but they're still going to hold a little bit of water and a little bit of fat in the off-season. I'm actually going to talk about, especially when we get into the tips and techniques later on, there's actually an advantage to this. So bulking is typically where you are not in competition shape. We tend to hold a little bit more water and a little bit more fat, a little bit more glycogen in our muscles in the wintertime. That's normal and nature versus being ripped the fuck, walking up and down a beach and letting everybody know about our hard-ass work in the gym. So summertime, ripped the fuck. Wintertime, not so ripped. So when we're talking about bulking, we're talking about a little bit more water, a little bit more fat, typically a little bit stronger. And we tend to, if we go with nature, which we've discussed in other shows, lift heavier, use more compounds, and then come the spring, come the summertime, shape, bring out the show muscles, drop some body fat, and get into shape. So bulking is big, and summertime is ripped. That's in real, real simple terms. What do you think of those two things, Steve? What does bulking mean to you? I mean, bulking means to be you're you're getting bigger. If you're a skinny guy, you want to get bigger. You want to get more muscular. You want to get more stronger as well. It kind of goes hand in hand. If you're a guy who's like a medium build, you want to put on some size. You want to get that big muscle, you know? You want to get thicker type of thing. And if you're a big guy, it means you want to get even more stronger. It means you want to put on more mass on top of it, on top of what you already have. And it may not be very much, but it's still going to make a nice difference in, in, in your physique and get stronger. Go ahead. Yeah. In modern terms. And I think this is where it's changed a little bit, Steve, I'm going to, I'm going to describe it a little bit differently from what it used to be. It's adding muscle, adding size. It doesn't have to be fat and glycogen or what we can just be adding muscle. So we call that lean bulking. And what do I mean? Okay. So summertime, getting into shape, beach, modeling, shoot, whatever. I want to hold on. So as much as I got, but at the same time, strip away fat. So when we talk about cutting, we're not talking about losing muscle. And if we can keep the muscle we got and keep the size and just cut fat, that's perfect. So in modern terms, adding muscle and the, the cycles and the products that we're going to talk about today, you don't have to blow up. You just want to add realistically lean muscle tissue with a small amount of fat and water. And then come the summer for a cut, and we will do shows on cutting, of course, in the spring and the summertime, strip away the superfluous crap, but keep the muscle tissue that we've hard-earned through the winter. So definitely, Steve, it's that thing now is, yeah, like I said, not putting on 20 or 30 pounds and having to strip it away. The kind of products that we're talking about today and the kind of cycles we're going to talk about today are adding lean muscle tissue, five, six, seven, eight pounds would be amazing. Five pounds is good, guys, trust me. And it will make a fantastic difference to your physique. A little bit of water, a little bit of fat, but not the way that it used to be. Not the 20 or 30 pounds, guys. So more of that with the modern slant. And, of course, just simply realizing if you put on 30 pounds and 15 pounds of that is fat and water, you've got to diet the 15 pounds. And I hate cardio and that kind of stuff. I hate dieting. So why make it more difficult for yourself than you, knew, you they used to in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and even the early 90s, make it easy on yourself. Make the tissue that you had lean. Make it functional. Get used to being five, ten pounds heavier. That's a lot better way to do it, Steve, than they used to do it. Yeah, and, in, in, you know, there's, there's a difference between dirty bulking and bulking. And dirty bulking would be just like, I'm going to put on a ton of weight. I'm a skinny guy. Let me just put on as much weight as I can. I'm going to eat, like, Eight meals a day. It's like the Rich Piana idea. Eat, let's eat eight meals a day. Let's throw tons of food at our body. And let's just end up, what's going to end up happening is you're just going to get fat. You're going to put on a bunch of body fat. Is that bulking? No. To me, it's not bulking. Putting on a bunch of body fat and water, to me, is not bulking. You know, we want to put on muscle. 
And, you know, you put on a rapid amount of weight, obviously a big chunk of that is going to be fat and water because you're not going to be able to put on good quality muscle tissue. But anabolic steroids help you put on a lot more muscle and muscle tissue than normally you could because anabolic steroids do things in the body that give create an environment of increasing protein synthesis, binding to SHBG, and all kinds of other things to allow that barrier to be broken where you can go up. And they also, some of the ones we're going to talk about are also good because they increase appetite. And a lot of you out there, I know I had this when I was younger. It's not a bad thing at all, but I had this when I was younger too, lack of appetite. And, you know, it's like I didn't have much of an appetite, but I was force-fed food, and that kind of made me sick, being force-fed food. So, um, to me, you know, I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about it was like some medical thing. I was talking about just like you have a family, and, you know, your grandma or your mom or something makes this big meal. And they're like, you got to eat this. You got to eat this. You got to eat this. And then after you eat, they're like, no, you got to eat this. You got to eat this. And that's kind of one of those environments that I grew up in. And what ended up happening is it would backfire because I would just get, I would end up getting sick, you know, from too much food. So really the idea with bulking, mobster, and we're going we're gonna to finish the show with tips and tricks of bulking. One of the things that I'm going to talk about when it comes to bulking, bulking is nutrition and proper nutrition and why proper nutrition is more important than stuffing your face until you're about to throw up. That's, you know, and I'm going to explain why as we finish out this podcast, because a lot of you out there who want to bulk, you're like, well, I'm so excited to start steroids. I'm going to do this oral steroid they talk about, but you're also thinking in your mind. And I know this because I was a high school weightlifting coach. And I know how the younger guys are thinking is like, well, I need to go and I need to eat as much food as I can. And that's going to help me bulk and build muscle. And it's not. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about tips and trips, mobster. So finish yeah. out with that. And then let's get into oral only cycles. Can you really do them? Why don't you start, start on that one as well, mobster? Cause that's a yeah. controversial topic that some of you. <laughs> I've actually argued it since Let me talk about the last thing that Steve mentioned before this occasion. It's almost a red flag, Steve. And I think back in the day when I was younger, I would sound the same as these guys. But you realize as you get older from experience, the reality of the situation. So what happens? You'll get some member, new member to the site, new member to the forums. Come on. And they're underweight. So there's an issue with the appetite that Steve's touched upon. What they'll say is, I'm thinking I'm going to want to add 20 pounds on this cycle. And you go, no, no, you really don't. Honestly, it's, it's worse than a pro bodybuilder putting on 30 pounds. At least they know what the hell they're doing. And maybe they've been that size before. If you're underweight and struggling with your appetite and you come on with this kind of almost like a wish, a dream, Steve, of adding 20 pounds, it is really not as good an idea as you think it is. And I'll explain very quickly why. Quite simply, let's say that you weigh, I don't know, Steve, 150 pounds. And you're on a 5'9". Perfectly reasonable, walking around, Joe Blow in the street. And I magically wave my wand, because I'm your fairy god, muscle godmother, and I throw 20 pounds at your body. Quads, back, cap, delts, biceps, you name it. Boom, 20 pounds. It's like half a bag of shopping in each arm all the time. When you're lying down in bed when you are going to the toilet, when you're walking up and down the stairs, when you're walking to catch the train in the morning, Steve, just walking out your car for the daily commute, 20 pounds, motherfucker, that you never had before. And sometimes people can respond on certain of the bulking cycles that we discussed, Steve, that quickly. It's uncomfortable. As far I've done it, Steve. I've gone from 280 to 300 in a matter of a few weeks. It is uncomfortable. It really is. And then it's how much of 20 pounds would you keep? Seven or eight if you were incredibly lucky. And it's almost a transformation. It's almost, like I said, the fairy godmother waving their muscle wand, boom, 20 pounds. It's not as nice as you think it is. So the reality of the situation is lean is a lot easier and more functional than massive bulk. And that's why we recommend cycles that put on either 10 pounds on cycle and that you keep excuse me, Steve, four or five pounds 
six pounds off cycle. Much easier to accommodate, much easier to get used to. Right. Oral-only cycles. This has come up actually as a con topic of conversation recently, and I told Steve in a pre-show that I'd had a chat with some guys at the gym uh, on this topic. So what happened recently, we've seen more and more people talking about oral cycles shouldn't be more than four weeks. I'm going to disagree with that because I've done multiple six, seven, eight-week cycles on orals. I don't see the issue. The argument about orals being more toxic is valid. However, let me discuss that as well. So because of oral steroids and what we call the first pass through the liver, most oral steroids are methylated to protect them from the first pass, enable through the part of the testosterone in the oral steroid to get into your body and do its job, pass the digestion, pass the barrier, if you like, that stops it being absorbed properly because it's an oral steroid, it's not being injected. But I actually used this analogy the other day, Steve. I said I couldn't understand, for example, Let's take Dianabol. Pretty much, I would say 90% of our listeners who have used Dianabol have probably run it somewhere between 30 to 50 milligrams a day. And we're going to talk about Dianabol in a little while. But what about the first injectable cycle that you've ever done? If 30 milligrams a day comes to 210 milligrams total of that particular steroid, Dianabol, per week, yet the first injectable cycle that most listeners, again, would have seen recommended, is typically 500 milligrams. And we do know that injectable steroids, while quote-unquote safer, because they're not methylated, you're still using twice as much, and they still have some impact. So the idea that you're somehow safer works if you took the same amount. But you're not taking 210 milligrams of testosterone, you're taking 500 milligrams of as a normal starting cycle. That's pretty much what everybody talks about, Steve. And that's assuming it's straightforward testosterone, let's say in amphate versus say something else or a stack or a combination. And the combination of stacks tend to be way in excess of the 210 milligrams of D-bowl a week, way in excess. So it's, if it was 210 milligrams of testosterone, you'd have a reasonable argument but it's almost never that. That's practically TRT, Steve. So it starts to get confusing. And then we get into the arguments. Four weeks is fine, but six or eight weeks is not. That kind of don't make no sense. If it's methylated from day one, it's the same issue from day one. See what I mean? So we see these arguments. We see these things come up. I will also point out, and you should do this sometimes with the guru, with the expert, and I'm going to include myself when I say that, and Steve, our personal requirements and our personal experiences may color our thinking. If I'm a big guy and I use X and you're a much leaner, slimmer guy who likes running more or likes an aesthetic looking physique, the requirements for me versus you should differ. And that's without getting into the fact that I might respond slightly differently to you do, even if everything else was the same. So you need to ask people when they make those statements why they make those statements and think about it the reality of the situation is Stephen. i think everybody would agree with even those that might argue against the length of time is do oral steroids work i actually saw someone the other day saying they didn't which made no sense at all they do work and i think they, they i actually responded to the comment where they said oh i don't see the point of oral steroids; they don't work Diana Bow was called the Breakfast of Champions and has been said to be that for the last, let me think now, Steve, since the 1960s, guys. It works. All the oral steroids we're going to discuss today work. Do they work better than a stack of injectables? No. Do they work? Are they effective? Yes. Have I done multiple stacks of oral steroids? Sorry, multiple cycles of oral steroids? Yes. There are ones that I absolutely love. There are ones that Steve absolutely loves. We know that they work. So all injectables, sorry, oral cycles only, question mark? Yes, 100% you can. And I would like to see the arguments against it. By all means, put them in the, in, in the uh, comments, guys. What do you think about oral only cycles, Steve? So, so there's really three, there's like two or three points I want to bring up on this subject. So the first one is, look, I've been in a situation before I was dating this this cute, you know, cute nurse. She had a five-year-old daughter, you know, and look, you know, it, 
some situations you're just not gonna have be able to keep needles in the house. And you know, when I was dating her, look, I we made the agreement and we're gonna move in together. You know, and I told her after a month, you know, a month being together, I was like, look, you know, I use anabolic steroids. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I use anabolic steroids. She said, okay, look, you know what you're doing. You obviously know what you're doing. Um, I respect you. You write about this stuff. You do podcasts and stuff. But please, I have a daughter. I don't want my daughter finding your needles. So, and I told her, look, it's no problem. I'll just do orals, you know. And then once she gets older, whatever. I'll be able to, you know, teach her about, you know, privacy and stuff. And this way she can't come and go into the closet and dig through, you know, stuff in the closet like a little kid will, you know? So I was like, no, I'll just do oral steroids. It's not a problem. This way, if she finds the oral steroids, it's not a big deal. We just tell her it's just like vitamins. It's, it's vitamins for your, for your uh, stepdaddy, you know? So some of you out there are not going to be able to keep needles in the house for whatever reason. It could be something like that. It could be another reason you can't keep needles in the house. Um, maybe you live with other relatives. You don't want to keep needles in the house. You live with in-laws. Oral steroids look a lot less intimidating than, than injectable steroids when it comes to needles. Okay? Um, the second point is injectable orals. What if I take D-Bowl or Anadrol? Anadrol, too, I've seen sources sell as an injectable. Is that okay? For those of you who think oral-only steroids are going to work, is that okay? Can I use an injectable Anadrol or injectable D-Ball? Look, they make them in injectable form. So this logic where, well, you can't use an oral, well, if you use the injectable version, it's still an injectable, and it's still going to have just the same amount of liver toxicity and everything. So what's your argument against that? And then the argument becomes, well, you need a testosterone as a base, which is a silly argument all around. But look, at the end of the day, it's effective, and lots of people use oral-only steroids. I know people that have used oral-only steroids mobster for 20 or 30 years just because of all those things I mentioned. They have kids. They don't want their kids seeing that because, look, kids, when they see stuff like that, they're going to end up – you're teaching them when they become adults to inject things. It's really a bad look in a lot of ways. You know, because you're teaching kids, just like the it, parents who use drugs that have kids that use drugs, parents who smoke have kids that smoke. It happens all the time. What you do, what you show your kids is what you're going to do. So some of you, it's much more better to use in the pill form um, if, for, for that reason. So if I'm going to use an injectable D-ball versus an oral D-ball, is that acceptable to you? If you're against oral steroids, look, so at the end of the line. People have done it for various reasons. I know people have done it for years, for decades, and yeah. they're still alive and well. It's, you know, look, at the end of the day, are injectables going to be more effective with orals? Hell fucking yeah, they're going to be more effective with orals. You're going to run them longer. You can run them 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 15 weeks. You want to be more effective than orals? It's going to be hell of a lot easier to pin once or twice a week and have to remember to take an oral every day. I get that part. But then they just say you can't run an oral only cycle. To me, there's not much logic out of it. You know, yeah, let so, me jump in for a second here, Stephen. You actually just touched upon this. When we talk about the cultural, the nurture versus nature argument, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's by association. And 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 unfortunately that the, the thought process, the logic of Steve says, doesn't hold up against the science. So here's the thing, Steve. Quite properly, uh, society is against narcotics and the habits that comes with using narcotics. And that comes from school. That comes from TV programs. That comes from newspapers and so on. Okay, so as you said, if I'm around, for example, if I was brought up in a house where everybody's using meth, I'm probably going to think meth is okay. Because my daddy said it, and my my stepmummy said it, and my uncle John said it, and my, my my one of the cousins he makes meth in a lab, you know. So my my upbringing and the perception for me would differ. If I'm I've seen photographs of uh, near where I was living in central London, Steve, a prostitute's flat where she was taking clients, and the mattress was on the floor and it was stained of fuck, and around the mattress like an island. The mattress had nothing got it apart from the stains, but around the mattress was the heroin syringes that she'd been using 
fuck out, you're going to get a hard on in that situation. So that's association. And we associate, for example, medical stuff with white coats and nurses and hospitals and so on and so forth. We might not associate that. And we want to do right by our kids. So all of that kind of upbringing and vibe and how we perceive and feel about these things comes into play, whether that's uh, even even having conversations with the other half, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, uh, and them wanting the best. They love you. They want the best for you. But they're not necessarily going to sit down and have you describe steroid history and PED pharmacology and all that kind of vibe. So it can be difficult to try to explain what you're doing. And it's a lot easier for you to have literally your D-bowl in a little vitamin tub in an office drawer somewhere versus having to hide your syringes in the garage because there's kids in the house, all that kind of stuff. So, again, that's what you're dealing with. There's even an argument, Steve, because we've seen this in the other direction where we've actually said to members, ideally for what you want, an injectable cycle would be the way to go, but they're really uncomfortable of giving themselves an injection. They're super, literally people that get anxious when they're donating blood or having an inoculation or something like this, you know, they have to sit down and wait after they've had this little syringe into the arm, give them some jab when they were children or whatever else, and they freaked out. They had anxiety attacks, whatever. It's the whole by association. Now, of course, because we've been doing this for a while, I think it's a lot easier for me and Steve for, for, for want of a better phrase as veterans to understand it especially if you're new to it this is another reason why we talk about research and getting your head around these kind of things and equally you know I was no different to anybody else being super uncomfortable the first time I gave myself a, a intramuscular injection versus now 100% I was never comfortable now I'm way more comfortable I don't go around just jabbing myself like it's nothing it's still a big deal, but it's not the level of anxiety and uncomfortable we start had back in the day. So, yeah, I can get it. But you have to ask people sometimes. And a lot of the times, Steve, it's parroted information. So you say to them, why is it this? Why is it that? Why is that a problem? The reality is I said, and let me just do this one more uh, point. If this was an issue, I would actually argue in terms of medication and what's prescribed to you by a doctor, et cetera, et cetera, you and I can go to the pharmacist right now, Steve, and buy, in fact, garages, gas gas stations and supermarkets and whatever else, over-the-counter anti-inflammatories, which taken as recommended to you by a doctor, for example, up to 800 milligrams a day, in the case of, say, ibuprofen, but as likely to cause you damage especially in the short term, three or four days of use in terms of inflammation of your stomach and use long-term the same issues because they are over-the-counter drugs and inflammatory effects ripping the fuck out of your stomach if used for long-term and or your liver. And in fact, guys, call me out on this. Go and read the white piece of paper that comes with the box for a lot of products you can buy in the supermarket, never mind what are prescribed to you by doctors from the pharmacist. Short term to treat the medical condition, fine. Long term, an issue. And the last one, Steve. Some of the oral steroids that we discussed in the day, especially in lower dosages, as they were used medically back in the day for what they were actually created for in the first place. You used to be able to walk into pharmacia in Mexico, in Greece, and whatever else without a prescription. Now, again, they were in much lower dosages, but you could literally get them without a prescription. I'm thinking specifically of one oral steroid, Steve. That was uh, you could go into a Greek pharmacy uh, and say, talk to the pharmacist about how underweight your baby was and they would give you an oral steroid that you could give to the baby. Now, you can look that up to see if I'm talking out of my ass, guys. So, again, it's by association. The science doesn't let it that argument hold up. You have to wonder why people say these things sometimes. We're here to dispel those uh, notions and give you the truth on it. And, again, please feel free to check and or argue the point with us. But we're going to go on from that, Steve, and we're going to start to talk now about specifically our favourite orals and how we would dose them, how we would run them, how long we would stay on them. Back to you. Yeah, so let's get into the first one, Mobster. And, um, you know, I'll talk about D-Ball a little bit. I know you're a big fan of D-Ball as well. So D-Ball is actually the first oral steroid that I ever used. And what the thing I noticed about D-Ball when I first got on it are was the strength increases like literally like after three or four days on it, i was running 30 milligrams a day 
I noticed that instead of being able to do six reps, I was able to do eight reps. And as someone who knows his body really, really well, and I was like, as soon as I was, you know, doing that bench press and I hit that six rep, I like cracked a smile. I was like, damn, these steroids work, you know, this shit works. And, you know, I pushed out those two last reps, like, like no problem. And I could only do six a week prior when I was doing my uh, pushing split. So look, D-ball is a great, great oral steroid. And it's the most dummy proof oral steroid out there. We all know the story behind D-ball where it was introduced to American athletes, Olympians by Dr. John Ziegler to give them an even playing field going up against their rivals uh, in the Russian team. So it's definitely a performance-based steroid, but it's really, really good when it comes to strength and mass. Dynabol converts to estrogen at a very, very rapid pace, so you want to be aware of that. And a lot of the size and the mass and the bulk that you're going to put on D-Bowl is going to be water weight. And that's just that's just part of the game. So if you want to put on some quick mass, definitely D-Bowl. It aromatizes very, very rapidly. And it's it might be something you may want to throw in a little bit of an AI when you're using them. So GP has some great Dianabol mobster. GP also has some great aromasin, Arimidex as well. And those are a couple things that you're, you may want to use or at least have on hand. If you're going to go ahead and do a Debo only cycle and look, some guys will go 20 milligrams a day, 30 milligrams a day. Some guys will go up to 50 milligrams a day. If you do go up to 50 milligrams a day, then I'm going to have to insist you definitely grab that GP aromasin and run it. Go ahead and run some of that GP aromasin, maybe 10 milligrams, two or three times a week and, and kind of balance things from there. But you know, with D-Bowl, you'll get good results. Four weeks is a good uh, length. Five weeks, six weeks is also doable. You don't want to be on it too long because of all the water retention you're going to get because it is going to affect your blood pressure. It's going to affect your endurance and all that stuff. But one of the nice things about D-Bowl Mobster is the yeah. appetite increase. I have never in my life had as much of an appetite as I did the first time I used that Diana Bowl. It's going to make you want to eat. And eat and eat. So I would what I would do is I would eat, go work out at the gym, come home, wait for my heart rate to come down, and then I would eat again. The appetite I was getting on Debo was tremendous. I mean, I'd wake up hungry. I'd be hungry all day. Appetite <laughs> could never satiate myself from appetite. So yes, it's a great fucking bulker. One of the keys to bulking is having an appetite because you yes. want to obviously eat more food. You eat more food, you're going to add more weight. So that's a big, big reason why diet yes. people... Steve, let me, let me jump in just for a second here for one line. I've had the one where I've eaten a meal and I'm thinking about the next meal while I'm eating the meal that I'm eating. That's how bad your appetite's actually got, Steve. You are actually hungry for the next lot of food while you're filling your belly with food right now. That is appetite, guys. And I think something that Steve said in other shows when we talked about Depot, the pumps are good pumps. We're going to talk about the ones that are not so good when we're talking about NFR momentarily. But also, um, I think Steve's discussed, uh, and I'll let Steve jump back in for this one, a sense of well-being that some users get from using Depot. I'll talk about that as well, Steve. Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, buddy. Why don't you talk a little bit more of your experience um, with uh, well, with I mean, here, and I'll get into let me do with this one, right? So I, I've used uh, multiple oral steroid, uh, sorry, oral stacks of Debo. Like Steve, my very, very first uh, stack of anything, so any steroid whatsoever, was Dynabolt. Run at the perfectly useful thirty milligrams a day that I talked about earlier on, and Steve touched upon. I waited as long as I possibly could before I used any performance-enhancing drug. So I was age 37, which meant I'd done 22 years of training. And on that particular stack, Steve, I added 10 pounds on the cycle, which I think off the top of my head was six weeks, way back in the day. Be uh, 22 years ago now. So um, 
yeah, I wanted to see how I was going to respond to any steroid. I wanted to see if I was going to have aggression issues because that was still a thing that people were talking about at the time. I'd gone out and done my research. My source was very, very good. One of the higher rated uh, gurus I was actually doing some research with him and others back in the day. The 30 milligrams seemed to be a, a thing. I got I said, some sort of AI that I had on hand at the time. Uh, even the the issue with water retention, Steve, I kind of like that. If I'm doing a weight-based challenge, something I set for myself or even the competition, the idea that I'm going to swell up, give myself greater leverage around the joints, bench pressing, pressing, squatting, whatever, even rowing, is, is, is a reason for me to do so. I know that I'm going to get an increase of strength. I know I'm going to get better leverage because I'm more bloated than before. I seem to, for the most part, handle the increased water slash and or blood pressure issue, such as it might be. Uh, I'm aware of how what condition I need to be in now, but again, that comes from experience and so on and so forth. And for me, I think the other thing is as well, Steve, um, it's cheap. It's effective. It's real, real simple to take. If you're aware, as you should be with the research of any potential water issues and so on and so forth, you're going to have all that stuff covered. And this is the reason why I would say, maybe not as common as it used to be, Steve, but, but I would say back in the day, up until probably the last five or 10 years, the first steroid that anybody ever took in probably 90% of users for many, 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 many years. Accessibility of both orals and injectables has increased uh, in terms of sources like Geneza Pharma and so on and so forth. So it's more likely that you're going to see a lot more users using, say, for argument's sake, a test cycle as their first injectable. More likely to see injectable cycles becoming more common as a first cycle. But for the longest time, probably 40 or 50 years, this was the steroid that you started with. And I even say, Steve, there's an argument to be made. People almost look back fondly on their first steroid stack. And for many, many users, that they, they can look back and talk about the age that they took it, the first time they took it. And Deeb, I was there, literally, like I said, the, the Breakfast of Champions comment I made earlier on, says you can buy a fucking T-shirt. There's not many, I think there might be one for Trent, but it's not, I don't think there's one for Winstrow, I don't think there's one for Anavar. But the Breakfast of Champions analogy with a, quote, <laughs> a well-known brand of cornflakes, uh, on the cover, but instead of it being called Blake's, it's the Bowl. And even people talking about the little blue pill, they're not talking about Viagra. And I even know the history that Steve's referred to. They were taking one, two, three, four, five milligrams a day uh, at uh, York Barbell. That was the John Ziegler reference that Steve made earlier on. And even Arnold and the others talking about the blue pills and the white little white pills that they were taking. They were talking about Debo. So there's almost a fondness. Now, things have moved on. And we do other stuff and we, we don't go with some of the old wives' sales and, and the bro science that we used to. It's still a little bit out there. But Debo's still got that. Yeah, works. That's what it says on the tin, Steve. So, yeah, that would be the one. Again, for me, I have run it as long as eight weeks. 30 milligrams a day suits me. I have tried a couple of times the 50 milligrams a day that Steve referenced earlier on. I didn't see much more of a gain from the 50 than I did from the 30. And one last thing, and I've touched upon this before. And it's, again, referencing the fact that Geneza Farm is a solid approved source like we touched on at the beginning of the show. I've had fake Debo very kindly donated to me, and I've told this story before, on this probably for about a week to 10 days. And I'd made the mistake, which we tell you not to do, of waiting for better products to arrive to complete the rest of the cycle and got zero gains from the fake ass free shit. Thank you very much. And immediately the legitimate stuff, Lajaneza Farmer arrived Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Steve. It was over the weekend. I put on a pound a day. So the real deal, solid product, Lajaneza Farmer, that's how quickly I can respond to it. I don't know that I'd respond to it quite as well as that now because I'm probably close to being maxed out. But back in the day, four pounds in four days. Absolutely amazing, Steve. Let me jump on another one. And... I've tried this, but I think Stephen's had, sorry, Steve's had better response from it than I have. Super, super popular amongst uh, PD users, especially oral fans. Anadrol. Now, um, GP makes a GP Oxy 50 milligrams, which is Anadrol, and typical dosages for this, Steve, are 50 to 100 milligrams a day. Now, I've always been keen to go into lower number, but ironically, 
when we've done show research for shows like this, went away and looked, and uh, this is the one that surprised me, Steve. For performance-enhancing drugs, we typically use a much higher amount than is used medically. Ironically, with anadrol, it's the other way around. We tend to recommend 50 to 100 milligrams a day, and yet it's actually, for medical reasons, dosed on a certain amount of milligrams per kilograms of body weight. So actually, if you've got a medical condition and they treat it with anadrol, you'll actually find yourself taking more anadrol than you would for performance-enhanced purposes. Now, I didn't respond to this as well as I should have done, but I've heard of people putting on, and I touched on this at the beginning of the show when we talked about what bulk it was, I have heard legendary stories out there, but I think especially for first cycles, and perhaps the user is underweight to begin with, 20 pounds on cycle gains. Now, as I said earlier, and that's super uncomfortable. And I know people that have probably had a struggle with certain things, but I know others, and I think Steve can jump in here now, that like Anadrol, that respond incredibly well to it. And even if they only put 10 pounds on, it comes out really, really well. So I know you've had more experience than I have yeah. on this particular one, Steve. Yeah, so GP makes a really good Anadrol. And um, look, Anadrol, they're called A-bombs for a reason. Usually they come in 50 milligram tabs. Um, so you can always split it in half. You do 25 milligrams a day, 50 milligrams solo. Um, look, it's a great steroid. It's a dummy-proof steroid as well. The interesting thing about Anadrol is it's a DHT derivative. So it cannot aromatize into estrogen, but it does bind to estrogen receptors. So it's very unique in the way it works in that it works differently than Dianabol. Dianabol aromatizes heavily into estrogen and Anadrol cannot. But it's still going to put on a lot of bulk because of that binding to estrogen. So if you are sensitive to gynecomastia, you want to keep that in mind. It's a really, really tough one. A lot of people have found that stacking some Novodex with Anadrol will help them control any of those estrogen issues. So you can go ahead and get GP Novodex and run a little bit of a Novodex with it, maybe 5 or 10 milligrams every two or three days of Novodex. That might be the best thing to do. But I've run um, Anadrol solo. And look, tremendous bulker. It's not going to give you the appetite increases like D-Bowl will. But it, what it will do is give you more hard bulk. It's going to be a hard bulk. Like, like really, your pecs will get really big and, 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 and hard. So if you like to harden up and get bigger at the same time, Anadrol is one of the best. So with Anadrol, look, 50 milligrams a day, 25 milligrams a day, four or five weeks. And if you can't gain on that, then I don't know what to tell you. There's definitely something going on. Maybe you just didn't get good Anadrol or something, but it's a great, great steroid. But it could be, you know, some of you may not do as well on it because of the appetite, because it's not going to cause an appetite increase the way the D-Bowl said like it will, but it will cause some appetite increase. Another uh, bulker you can try um, is going to be the GP Oral Trend. And they have that. Now, is oral trend going to be more effective than injectable trend? No, um, it won't. So the uh, oral trend comes um, in 250 micrograms per tablet. So with this one, you want to use one, two, maybe three tabs a day at the most. Um, you should be able to get really, really good results on it. But the, our argument, our, the argument between oral steroids and injectable steroids holds true when it comes to oral trend, because oral trend is not going to be as effective as injectable trend. So those of you who are against oral-only cycles, with this one, you you do have a point. It's just not going to be yes. as effective, but it's still going to be effective. So it is going to be a good bulker. It's not going to increase your appetite. In, in, in fact, oral trend, a lot of people report the opposite, actually decreases their appetite, but you're still able to bulk on it. It still makes an extra bulker. So you can run that. You can try that one. Um, I would not run the oral trend longer than five or six weeks, just like these oral, other oral steroids we talk about. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, you should be able to get good results on it. Mobster, what are your other yeah, orals? That I, you I, I'm sorry, on the, on the oral trend, Steve, and I'm just thinking of my own specific uh, trend experience, the ability to recomposition it's probably greater on oral trend, and it certainly is for the Debo and the uh, Anadrol that we've just discussed. So there's an argument to be made, Steve, even if your appetite doesn't increase, and I'm going to agree with Steve on that. And oral trend, and I think it's specifically of trends uh, side effects anyway, Steve, I would want to run less 
until I know any better from personal experience. There's a, the ability to recomposition. In other words, the diet stays the same, but you lose fat and add muscle at the same time. So the scale might not move, but you look better, uh, I think would be valid. The only issue here, Steve, is that I would have to take loads of oral train to get anywhere close to a doses of injectable train. So I'd probably look at this as part of a stack or, and I'm not a big fan of these, as you know, listeners, kickstart and finishing and so on and so forth. So somewhere in there and have a specific reason for it. I mean, look, listen, guys, Geneza Pharma does a bunch of oral steroids. And I'm going to touch briefly on a couple that you wouldn't talk about for bulking. I'm not going to go too, into too much detail, but we've talked about lean bulking earlier on. So, for example, every single time, Steve, and I'm a huge fan of Anavar, and a GP does a GP Oxan 10 milligrams. I just want to, yep, 10 milligrams. They don't have any other doses for that particular one. I've always put on four or five pounds when I've used Anavar. Now, that's half what I would put on on D-Bolt. But for me, Anavar has always been a great drug to enhance my strength. Didn't need to blow up, just wanted to be stronger for a challenge, for a competition, whatever I was doing. And definitely more of a lean touch muscle adder, Steve. I'm not going to bloke up. I'm not going to get estrogen issues on it. I still might want an aromatized inhibitor on that particular cycle. And the sweet spot for me, and again, for 90% of the listeners listening to the show today, would be 50 milligrams a day. Here's you're talking about five pills. I would probably, like I do with pretty much all oral steroids, and especially if I know the half-lives, which I would, wouldn't go into a cycle without knowing that information, spread my dose through the day. I, I would probably, in this particular case, Steve, I've very rarely done it with D-Bowl when I've done a couple of pills of D-Bowl in the morning, they're tens, then gone to the gym and then spread the rest of the dose through the day. And if I might do the same again. To be honest with you guys, that's probably more psychological than physical in terms of the response of reaction. But I like, I like Anavar. I like it specifically for strength. And one more, Steve, would be Taranabol and GP do a, a GP Turan 10 milligrams. Now, I had a long conversation and discussion with one of our newer members about the specifics of Taranabol. And Steve, I've actually done specific shows on it. In simple terms, it was created by the East Germans with a Stasi name, the backing of Russia, for specific athletic enhancement. The issue being huge athletes, bloated to fuck, couldn't tell which was male, couldn't tell which was female in the 50s, 60s and 70s, especially the 70s, Steve. T-Bow was created, so they didn't have this massive bloat. It was a little bit more functional, but athleticism was increased as well as a little bit of strength. You didn't have the D-Bow vault. You, you didn't get strong, but no, no real great muscle added. What you were looking at here for specifically athletes, Steve, would be shot putters, javelin, discus, or so on and so forth being able to increase their power without adding 20 pounds of water and God knows what else. So for me, T-Bowl, and it's hugely rated by gurus, vastly underrated by the majority of PD users, it should be more highly rated than it is. Again, if I had 10 pounds on using the D-Bowl cycle, I wouldn't expect to add more than three or four pounds. I'd expect to see, however, an improvement in my athletic ability versus, for example, with the Anivar, a uh, strength ability. Steve, I know that you've used one more, which is Superdrol. So tell tell the listeners about your experience with Superdrol. Yeah, Superdrol is one of those. It doesn't aromatize at all. It doesn't increase appetite. It's a very toxic steroid. So you want to be careful with Superdrol. You don't want to use too much of it. 10 milligrams, 20 milligrams, 30 milligrams, 40 milligrams. I've tried these dosing. Huge difference between 20 milligrams and 30 milligrams. A huge difference between 30 grams, 40. 40 milligrams was like just horrible. You know, it just makes you fatigued, makes you tired. But man, you can get strong as fuck on it and you can bulk on this stuff hardcore. Like it will basically, like, let's say you're stuck at 200 pounds. You can't get over 200 pounds. You go on Superdrol in a week or two, you'll like crack 200 pounds. No problem. Same thing with your strength. You can't get over three plates. I can only do three plates. You, you get on Superdrol, you'll be doing more than three plates. No problem. It's, it's a hell of an oral steroid. So if you're going to use Superdrol, just be careful with it. Don't run it too long. I will not recommend Superdrol longer than three weeks. 
And I would not recommend more than 30 milligrams a day at the most. 20 milligrams is probably going to be the more optimal dose. So it's just not for a lot of people. And you may not, you just, it's, it's causes so much problems in the body. So, so let's transition, Mobster, because we have <clears throat> some, some time left. Let's talk, talk about some final tips when it comes to uh, bulking. So, yeah. you know, I promised you at the beginning of the show, I'll get into this and I'll let Mobster finish out the show with his tips. But we talk about nutrition a little bit. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with one of my uh, one of my students uh, years ago, back when I was uh, back when I was a weightlifting judge and weightlifting uh, teacher, and he asked me, he's like, he's like, Coach Steve, you know what? Why would it be wrong for me after a workout to go uh, and have fast food at so and so fast food uh, chain afterwards? Because where the school was, like literally right down the street, and this is this is America for you. Um, right down the street, there was literally a road where every other business was a fast food joint. <laughs> you know, that's deli deliberate, Steve. They knew yeah. that there was a school up the road. But I mean, that's how it is. I mean, and so what the kids would do on their lunch break, some of the kids were allowed to leave. If you were, you know, a, of a certain age or certain seniority, you would get to leave and either walk down there or drive down there and get your lunch at the fast food joints. And that was a cool thing to do. A lot of kids like to do that just to get away from school, take a break from school. And then they'd come back to school and in, uh, in time for the next class. But anyway, you know, he asked me, he's like, coach Steve, what is the harm of me working out and going there and eating? It's food. I mean, it's protein. It's a, and I said, look, when you go down there and eat the fast food, you're actually setting yourself back. And he looked at me shocked. And I told him it's because you eat that food. It's stressing out your body. It's making your body do more work. Your body after a workout does not want to be put under more stress. You just put it through stress when you did your workout, right? So now your body wants to be fed nutrition. It doesn't want to be fed junk. When you feed it junk, it's just going to make it harder for your body to repair itself because you're growing outside of the gym. You're not growing while in the gym. So you want to do what you can to grow outside of the gym by not getting in your body's way. So I told him, it's like, if you literally ate nothing after your workout, you would have better results than if you go went and ate that food. And he looked at me shocked. It just, it blew him away. And that's, that's what I want to, that's fine. One of the tips when it comes to bulking, if you're going to tell me, <clears throat> Steve, you know, I'm traveling or whatever, and the only food I have access to is pizza or, or or fast food or something. What do I do in that situation? I tell you, don't eat anything. If literally that's the only food you have access to, I'd rather you not eat anything than throw junk food at your body. Because the junk food is only going to prevent you from putting on muscle and getting stronger than it would be not. So that's, that's, that's going to be my tip. It's a really simple tip. But I think a lot of people need to hear it because I've heard over the years from people, it's like, well, you can't get anything except junk food. You might as well get the junk food. You need your calories. Well, that's just not how our bodies work. Our bodies want to be fed nutrition. So you want to eat nothing. And the next chance you get to get proper nutrition, that's when you get your nutrition in the process. So that's a that's a little trick for yeah. bulking. Most There's an analogy to be made here, Steve. If you've got a good car, you'll see that in the book that comes with a car, we recommend this oil. We recommend this kind of fuel. And if you use those oils and you use those fuels, the car runs better. And that's what we're talking about here, Steve. So it's that thing of eating junk food and making it harder for the body to process it and take the nutrients out of there to repair your body versus uh, the wrong oil or the wrong fuel. So the right fuel, in our case, good, solid nutrition versus crap nutrition. Training. Quite simply, guys, and especially players in the wintertime, don't work the show muscles. You know, I mean, I understand if you want to get wider and you want to work those cap delts and you want the triceps to pop, but you're going to be covered up. It's the colder winter months. We've discussed this on other bulk shows before. So if you're doing it in the wintertime, especially if you're doing it in the wintertime, you're going to be covered up. You're going to be warm. So work the big-ass compounds. Make them the focus of your training. So squats and press and bench, and heavy curl, cheat curls, motherfuckers. So one time I'm going to let you do it. Skull crushers, stiff dead, deadlifts, deadlifts, variants of deadlifts, variants of pressing, variants of benching, heavy-ass rows, bent-over rows, big dumbbell rows, and so on. 
work the big muscles, get as big and as full as a house and as strong as you possibly can. And then when the spring comes, you can keep some isolation movements in there, but they become the focus of the training. Now you want to pop the delts. Now you want to cap those, pop the triceps, cap the delts. Now you want the hamstring to hang and working on the little detail stuff, making sure there's lines down the side of your calves, letting people see if you've got the genetics for it, the separate heads on the delts, on the bicep, on the tricep, and so on. These little muscles. I tell you now, guys, I have seen pros covered up and they've looked almost normal size. And then when you see how small their joints are and how stuff pops when they're on stage posing and they meet them in the auditorium outside in the hall by, by reception afterwards, you go, how is this the same person? His muscles are swelling out from here. I know he was pumped, but his joints are tiny. And again, every I'm, I'm thinking right now, Steve, of a Mr. Olympia, literally just the last but one, Hadi Chupan, is as strong as fuck. And he's as strong as fuck on the big movements, on the rows, on the squats, on the hack squats, on those big-ass movements. He doesn't look that big. But when you see him, he's like seven, eight plates on the hack squats, Steve. And, and, and looks like it's 150 to 200-pound dumbbell rows. Those are the big ones. They're moving the most mass. They're the ones that, when you want to bulk, are going to help you bulk the most. And, touch on the one Steve just said with the nutrition, the big movements are the ones that are going to use the most energy. So they're the ones that are going to stimulate the appetite. Trust me, if there's a toss-up between skull crushers or close grip bench press stimulating your appetite versus, say, kickbacks, the first two, the former, will win. The latter will not. So it's on that sort of stuff, Steve, in terms of big shit, moving the most iron, stimulating the appetite, putting the most amount of muscle on, and then doing the show muscles, the pop stuff, as a separate thing, but especially when you're cutting down in the summertime. Please note, we are not doctors, and the opinions are ours. It is our view and based on our experience and views on the topic. I podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment 